We're in Luke chapter 6. Just want to uh, catch you up on where we left off last time. And I made the, the statement, which I, I stand by, um, but it's very controversial in some, circums, some circles, that whenever law meets love and they are in conflict, Jesus picks love. And we've seen that time and time and time again. And in chapter 6, he talks about, you know, whenever they say it's unlawful for you to, to eat on the Sabbath, they, to, um, sorry, to harvest grain by going through and gleaning on the Sabbath. And he goes, no, David even ate the showbread from the, in the temple, which was a, a horrendously serious offense. But God was okay with it because David was hungry. Love met law, but love wins. This is, this is the pattern. And people don't like that because we want other people punished for what they do. But we want grace for ourselves. We want others to be, to be um, punished for their actions. We want ourselves to be excused for our intentions and our reasons. And it's, um, C.S. Lewis talks a lot about that in the, the book of um, he called Mere Christianity, where he says, we know there's something wrong about cutting in line. Now, by the way, he'd only been with British culture, so he'd not been in other places in the world where the concept of line you know, is, is not there. But he was using his. He said, but when we break into line, we know we have done wrong. So we immediately, however, excuse our behavior by saying, but I only had a few things, but I'm in a hurry but this, and so we'll, we'll throw in, uh, an, a, a reason that we don't, the law does not apply to us. Jesus here is saying, why don't we just let love apply to everybody when they're caught between law and love? He goes, uh, this, there are, this is a twofer. It's going to happen again. Chapter 6 of Luke, verse 6. On another Sabbath, this is not consecutive. The, the writer is making a point. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So stop there. If you're looking for a reason to dislike or accuse, you will find it. Period. Can we not see that in our politics? I, I have very strong political views, but I'm ashamed of all sides by the way they react. Here's an example. Uh, I, I hold no policies that I know of in common with uh, commonly called AOC. Um, and she's very vocal on, on social media. Well, she did a little video, tweeted it out to her follow followers about she had that, just that morning been reading a 1930 article by her favorite economist, Milton Keynes. Now, there is no Milton Keynes. She meant John Maynard Keynes. Well, People on libertarian and right side have been retweeting that. What an idiot, what an idiot, she's so stupid. She pulled that down within seconds of posting it and posted a correction and said, silly me, I meant John Maynard. And that's not being mentioned. Now you go to the other side. Uh, one of the Democratic senators has been posting a picture of people on a plane coming back from... You know, frankly, I don't even know if it was a Trump rally or whatever. They're all wearing the red hats. I don't know if it was a, a rally or Iowa caucuses or whatever it was. 
and saying, look at the sea of white. There's only one black man there, and they made him kneel in the aisle. Complete rubbish. The guy in the aisle is Ben Carson. He's, uh, he's in the cabinet, and the reason he's in the aisle is because he'd been in the first class with the president, and they'd ask him to come back for the picture. Both sides, deceptive is not a hard enough word. Both sides being completely willing to destroy the truth to find error in another. I don't play. I'm just not doing it. And I will, I, I have a very big presence on Facebook and Twitter, and I will tell you that the mute, snooze, and unfriend buttons are your friends. Use them. I had, of course, even asked me, who would Jesus un unfriend? I said, read the book of Revelation, get back to me. He hasn't. So they're watching for reason to accuse, and please, it's, it's just such a human tendency. We, we shouldn't do that. Um, so they want to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. I find, isn't that fascinating? Somebody has a power of healing and you've got to find a problem with it. Oh, he did it on the wrong day. Again, does that not sound like everything you've heard in politics? Absolutely. Deceptive, unfair. Um, and by the way, if ever you see a video that says so-and-so and it's one of your side, absolutely destroys so-and-so, they're on the other side. In this argument or exchange, don't click on it because they never do. If they destroyed it, the argument would be over. Neither side has surrendered. Move on. Find a cat video or a recipe. I don't care for cats and can't eat a whole one by myself anyway, so I don't do the recipes. But I, 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 I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dog person. That's my religion. Start looking for reasons to accuse me. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Please look at this Jesus. This isn't sweet, white, blonde-haired Jesus glowing, holding a baby lamb. These men have friends. They can get the swords out. They can get the, the Sakari of their day we're right there, the, the knife, hidden knife wielders of the day. We call, uh, the scripture calls them zealots. They were right there. Roman soldiers were available. Jesus' best option, we would think, would be to lay low and heal the man quietly. Often he does. But he doesn't do it because he's scared. He's not afraid. He says, all right. Let's do this up front of everybody. I like this Jesus. Like I told you, I learned to love Jesus before I believed in him as the son of God. But merely because the constant reading of the gospels, I kept going, I don't know who Christians think they're following. But this doesn't sound like the Jesus I was told about. This one's far more interesting and, and more likable and more human because he gets angry. Uh, doesn't lose it, but he gets angry. Get up. Then he says to them, the group, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? He looked around at them all. By the way, did you notice all the answers? They're not going to answer. Why? If you say something, you're on the record. You are opening up an avenue of attack. They want to attack others without being attacked. Once again, the Twitterverse. 
or Facebook or any of the blogs in the day, you get, I call them keyboard commandos because I'll just destroy you with this and I'll do this, that, and the other. You're in pajamas in your mama's basement. You know, I'm no afraid of you. Uh, I just, we are people who have seen worse. Bring it, you know, it's all right. Um, move, they say nothing. He says to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about that in a bit, but I want you to notice something which didn't happen. Jesus didn't say, stretch out your hand, and then say, be healed, and it was. He just said, show him your hand, and it already was healed. Jesus didn't wait for the man to stand in front of them to take care of him. He'd already done that. I like this guy. And there are other times, for example, um, when he tells the, the Syrophoenician woman uh, who wants him to heal her daughter and he's got to do this whole kabuki theater thing about, well, the bread's for the Gentile, for the Jews, not the Gentiles. Whenever she finally says something and he goes, for such an answer, you know, you can go, your daughter is healed, and the, the language there means that she already was. He'd healed her before the argument. He'd set this up so that they both could leave peacefully. Um, it, that was a complicated thing, but another complicated thing. Why, 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 when you see Jesus has come, on this, or at least a great healer, would you be trying to find a way to do something to him? And the answer is very simple power. What would happen, and I'm going to really get in trouble here, what would happen if there were no hunger in America? If that happened, there are a lot of people out of a job, and they'll never be getting in front of a TV again. That would not go well. What if all racism were gone? What if all division between men and women were gone? What if gay and the, the whole LGBTQ plus community wasn't fighting each other, by the way, which it does. It's not one community. It fights each other. And then we're fighting. What if we all learned to love one another? There would be hatred at us because we took away power, position, grant money, jobs, and TV cameras. And that's true left and right. Do not mistake what I'm saying. People do not want to lose their power. Preachers do it too. I've seen many preachers in the last few years of their life destroy almost everything good they built the first 60, 70 years of their life because they would not let control over to the next. And I, I have, I've prayed since I was a wee boy that whenever God's done with me, kill me. Don't let me mess it up. I don't know that he's going to kill me, but the offer's still on the table. And by the way, this year, there are a few more Sundays uh, that I will be here that I will not preach. Why? I'm 63. We need to start transitioning. That may take seven years. It may take two. It may take ten. Whatever God's timeline, we're bringing in training more and more, and that's the way it should be. And I learned that by watching ministers who were like boxers. Boxers always go in too long. They go back for one more round when they should have retired and gone home and been thought of well. These people have power 
And if the Messiah has come and sets the world to right, they have no power, no position. What are you going to do? When you mess with power structures of any sort, they, they do not appreciate it. They don't like you solving the problem, which is the only thing they're there to do. Because now what are they going to do with their life? One of those days, uh, did you have anything there? Yes. I, I believe that power misused is one of Satan's greatest tools. Oh, yeah. And it's only when in and with the love of Jesus Christ that we can control that to use the amount of power he's loaned each one of us in the gifts and talents that he's loaned us. But I believe that power was one of the, cur one of the biggest curses on, on, uh, on the human family because of Adam's sin. You're absolutely right. In fact, even talked to Eve saying, your desire will be toward your husband. And that's a really weird, some people thought that meant a sexual desire. No, it seems to mean that the rabbis are, that are telling me stuff, if they know their stuff, which I, I tend to think they do, um, that it would be a power struggle between wife and husband. That's what he's talking about there. I, um, I don't want to myth a lot, uh, you know, turn him into a myth. My son is now out of the Marine Corps and has been for some time. Six foot five, size 15 feet. Uh, scary good at what he does and what he did. And it has always amazed others, not us so much. But when Duncan walks into a room, he still looks like he just walked off of the front line, you know, in, in Basra or something. He's still got the haircut like that, except he has a little bit of growth down here now. And all the muscle and walks in little kids run to him, crawl all over him, play with him. And, and Cammie once said, it's, it's like they don't know he's the most dangerous man they'll ever meet. And I thought about that for a while, and, and I liked it. But then later I said, you know, we might want to change that word, because he's not dangerous to them at all. He is the most capable, powerful man they may meet. But power under control is a beautiful thing. Think of a racehorse. I don't know anything about horses, and I've never watched a horse race, frankly. But watching horses run, the muscles, the way they move, and there's a beauty there. Power under control. They, both, they only have one horsepower, um, but horses can kill you pretty easy if they wanted to. I don't know if they know this, so I don't, don't go telling them. But instead, it's under control. And it's just, and in fact, the Bible talks about what a small bit can move such a big beast. That's, it's just, if you have power and don't use it because using it would cause harm to others and you don't need to be elevated, that's a pretty cool thing. Uh, I've watched a man get rather humiliated and walk away from people calling him things and such. And I don't know that I could have. I was in the group that walked away with him, but I was young, I was not trained, I didn't know what to do. And what was stunning was we all knew that that man was a martial artist and an expert. But he let them do whatever, walked out calmly. Afterwards, ask, it, it all, we, we talked for hours, but basically go boil down to this. He said, oh, I didn't need to prove anything to them or to me. And of course, we're looking at each other going, well, dude, just, you know, one. But he was a better man than me. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. 
By the way, I get frustrated with prayer very often, and Albert, you know, he, he was born praying, and so I talked to him about this, but one of the best answers I had when I was so frustrated and talked to a theologian friend of mine, and I said, so why do you pray? And his answer was simply, because Jesus did. I went, okay. <laughs> talking to God, talking to his Father. Patrick, may I point out oh, yeah. that before, before even time began, when he turned his attention to this planet, he said to the Logos, that was Jesus before he was born of Mary and lived. And he said to the Logos, today I become your father. You are my son, ask of me. So prayer was in the mind of the father in regard to this planet for whatever should ever happen to it until time is no more. Like I said today in the sermon, history is far more complicated and bizarre than you can even imagine. Yeah. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, who he also designated apostles. Um, I want to stop there, and this has always concerned me a bit, because I had gym, PE in class, and they start picking teams. You ever, are you, some of you had no, you knew you are getting packed, your stars. There's always this wee little flutter there going, oh dearie. Because I was always a foreigner, no matter where you go. You know, if I go back to Scotland, they, they, think, I, they think I'm Irish. If I go to Canada, they think, uh, or the, if I go to Ireland, they think I'm Canadian. Uh, I've, been, I've been around too much. I don't sound like anybody. And as, as always moving, we were always the new kid. I'd be the last. And I'm thinking, well, at least let us be shirts and not skins. That's... You ladies didn't have to deal with that. That was, that was another painful, let's, let's see how else we can make a middle school boy hate his life. Um, here he brings in the, the followers and he chooses 12. And you know there was somebody back there going, at, when they, he listed the, the last one going, <coughs> you picked Judas? Uh, Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. There are, I, I, they should have jerseys because there are too many similar names. But that's the way they did it. Uh, in fact, the most common birth name for baby boys for the last several years in Britain is Muhammad. Because the more Muslims move, have moved into the region, they tend to name their sons. Uh, and this is one of the great difficulties our intelligence services have, by the way, is that the names are so similar. It's hard to know. And you can't anglicize them. You cannot look at Arabic writing and say, that's an A, that's a T. That's not the way that works. Uh, there, there are sounds. One of my favorite Hebrew letters sounds like T-S-C-H. And I only do that because I can. Yes. I'm confident that in the prayer of Jesus in John 17, he talks about the apostles that you chose, speaking to his father. Yes. So the father is the one in this prayer. And it occurs to me that when the father named 11 of these, that 12th one required the rest of the night. <laughs> they could have done. They could have done. The all-night prayer meeting. <laughs> yeah. Um, it did, it, it, yeah. He, he gets his team together. He gets, he gets the lads in. And, and, he, and by the way, he does seem just to come down and name them. It looks very automatic here. 
Next week, we will be blessed with three new shepherds in this congregation. Uh, two are taking a break, stepping down, who have served us lovely, wonderfully, and well. And uh, we're having them pray the prayer over the three that are coming on, and, and the others will be remaining. It is a, it's a blessing. If you don't know how this works, we did explain it a couple of times. It all starts with us putting names on a whiteboard, the shepherds and staff. We call that praying them to the surface. We pray and pray and pray, and God winnows the list as he does. And we, we don't do any of this. Well, we think they're okay, but if you got something against them, come at us. No, uh, we're, we, we pray to the surface. And that's was not my, uh, I don't know who said it originally. I was told it by John Laster. I always like to give him credit. He was my executive minister in Michigan and uh, one of the best men I've ever known. He went down and with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the, all, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. This was a surge. This is not normal in Jesus' way. Normally, he picked, healed, and moved on. This is a general healing being in his presence. Uh, the Holy Spirit is really showing up. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Sound familiar? Now, just an aside. There are people that will say, well, there are contradictions in Scripture because Luke's version of this isn't the same as Matthew's. <clears throat> Ministers say the same thing more than once. And they don't use all the same verbiage. I've had talks that have been requested for me to go give well over 200 times. I've given that talk because people have heard it and said, my church needs it or... We need that, the FBI, National Academy, or we need it over here at Texas Forensics, and so I'll go and I'll speak. Um, public speakers, generally speaking, have a raft of five or six. Uh, the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King Jr., he used that a lot. It wasn't just on, on Washington that day. He'd used that many times before. That's the way speakers do. So it's not a contradiction. It's not that two men wrote down different things from one speech. He was... One's on a mount. Here, he's on a level place. So we're not even in the same place. All right, does that help? So don't let him play you that way. Um, blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. We'll, we'll talk. Blessed are you who weep now, you'll, you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Let's go back. Um, blessed are you who are poor and hungry, you're going to get the kingdom and you'll be satisfied. Do you remember I talked about the sticks, the measuring sticks we use? And that you can't weigh a cat by describing its color. You know, and you, there's so much about this that I could go on. People using the wrong measuring rods, not just um, in, in looking at a life, but also at science. People, will, well, I, I find, will use the wrong, I'm going, no, that, that's not how you can measure this. You have to measure over here. Um, the Cassilis' daughter, one of her big studies when she was getting her PhD, um, she sent it to me and she was saying, does this look right to you? And it was, it was 
everybody thinks to get this germ, I won't call them germs, okay? Not to take over us, we have to find a way to kill the germ. Others will say we have to find a way to not let it divide, mitosis, whatever. Um, her way to study was to kill its locomotion so it couldn't get over there. Brilliant. If you're always going to kill the germ, you end up killing the body too, eventually. Right? That's what chemo does. That's all we got right now. If that's what you're on, that's all we got. So go with it. Wouldn't it be greater if we just found a way the cancer cells couldn't move and attach? Move or attach or reproduce. I mean, there's so many different ways. People in science get it wrong. Um, and people in life measure things wrong. If you come to God, he will give you what you need more than you ever realized that you needed that. And that's a brilliant thing. If you weep now, you will laugh. There will be a time. I cannot imagine what it was like to be a Jew in 1930s in Europe. I just watched another documentary on Netflix about, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, Eistengrufe, whatever. The, the everyday people that they finally were able to make kill women and children and laugh about it by the thousands. The Lithuanian men who they would get drunk and send out there to rape and then shoot. The, um, and by the way, they were all led, the last episode on this, they're all led by men of letters from the highest colleges with the best degrees. But let's be very careful. We do not equate education with intelligence and wisdom. That is, they are different things. Um, boy, I could preach there, and I'm not even a preacher. There will, to look at them and say, as their children are starving or being shot and saying, there will come a time where you will laugh would seem an empty promise. But we believe justice will be done. But maybe not while we're still in the story. I think Ecclesiastes kind of hits us with that. We may have to wait for that storyteller to get to that one. I listen to audiobooks, and I like thrillers. Uh, I, sometimes I don't want to, to learn something new as I'm driving. I just want to you know, pass the time. And one of them, I mean, it, he built it up, built it up, and this big thing, and I look over at the, the counter on my audio screen, and there are three hours left. And I'm going, but he solved the problem. And then another one came up. And then there ended up being four problems, not one. And he didn't know the other ones until solving one caused the other problem. That's our world. You don't get to see the end. You don't get to see how it's going to end. Play your part. The storyteller has an idea. Let the storyteller do this. The great Shenaki, the Irish word for that. Blessed are, now why are you blessed when people hate you, exclude you, and insult you, and reject your name as evil? Because that means you're not going with the crowd. You've stepped out of the madness of the world, and if there's anything the world hates, it's anybody that shows them it's possible to step out from the madness of the world. Now if you read the eBlast article, and I never know who reads it or not, it's a big popular thing when I put it on Facebook, but you know I, I don't know how much further it goes. 
And I talked about, I'm not, you don't find your meaning in always setting dumpsters on fire. You know, oh, outrage, outrage. I, I just don't do it. I knew uh, what would happen, and I got, I got emails and texts from right and left saying, yes, but when this happens and you're a believer in Christ, you've got to stand up, and both sides were lighting dumpsters again. And I'm going, you know, I'm not going to spend time talking about these things. I'm going to talk about Jesus. That's the only medicine I've got. That's the tool I've got. And I'll let everybody else sort out. You know, the dumpster will burn out eventually. But because of this, I've been called um, a wild liberal, and I've been called a harsh far-right, alt-right, both. But I learned how to do that early. I came to America in the late 80s, and there was a big um, election going on at the time. And I, I think I've told this story before. Uh, one of the young men of the congregation said, can, I, can we meet for breakfast? And I normally say no, but I went, all right, sure. Sat there eating breakfast. He didn't say anything until there, now the very end. And I said, Joe, what are you doing the rest of the day? And he, he stopped for a moment. And he goes, I don't think you'd want to know. I went, well, to be honest, I didn't. I was being polite, but now I want to know. And he, he was going to go work for the campaign for uh, the first George Bush. I went, okay, why do you think I didn't want to know that? He says, well, you've always struck me as pretty lefty Democrat guy. I went, oh, okay. That next Sunday, um, a, a lady came up to me, was talking to me, and she goes, well, I said, you doing all right? She just looked at me, she goes, you're the most Republican preacher I've ever had, and stomped out. Now, here's the kicker. That lady's son was the boy I'd had lunch, I'd breakfast with. It's not you. It's the position from which they see you. It's not you. So let them call you the names. It's all right. It's okay. We'll be fine. When they exclude you. I, I used to do this thing at youth rallies. And I'm not going to do it here because I would spin it out to where it became absurd and the teens would get it. You, know, you have a thousand, fifteen hundred people, teens in the room. And when you first start talking, they're just kind of nodding and then after a while, but the whole thing was about how I fell in love with Cammie. And it, complete lie, but, but I don't tell them that. Uh, because what I do is, I'll, you know, they, she was with a bunch of other girls and you know, she did her hair the same as all the other girls and I really loved her because she dressed like all the other girls and talked like all the other girls. and. Well, after a while, they get the point that you don't get picked for being one of a huge number of exacts. You, you, are, you have to be different somehow. And being different is more, and, and I'm not opposed. If you want a tattoo, be a, I'm a rebel because I don't have one. But if you want, you want to do that, you want to pierce something that's entirely between you and God and whoever's wielding the needle, uh, that I'm not, or dyeing your hair. I mean, you can be weird or different easy. I'm talking about being out of the mainstream, and that's a little bit more demanding. To step out and go, no, I'm no playing. I don't do that. And they, uh, they, they hate it. Because the world is a crab bucket. You've probably heard the crab story before. Here's the thing, it's true. I've lived by the ocean many times in my life. The sea. Uh, if you are fishing for crabs and you get one, you have to hold it in a separate area. 
Because you put it in a bucket, it'll climb out. They know how to climb it. If you catch two crabs, put them in a bucket. Because as soon as one starts to reach, the other one will drag it down. And you can put all the crabs you want to in there. They will never let another crab out. The world is a crab bucket. It does not want you to crawl out and be loose and do your own thing. Um, be a crab. We need more crabby people in our church. But if you do it, the world will hate it. I mean, I've never, ever, ever been in a room, let's say when I was a young man, and they would be passing a bottle around to the lake, and I'm, I'm underage, or for some reason, I say no, and they've never looked at me and say, well, good for you, standing up for your own decisions, making your own, that's the thing that, no. There was a woman in Australia, there is a woman in Australia, who has been savaged on Twitter and social media the last week. Some of you might know who I'm talking about. You've never met her. But on her social media account, she, she adores her family. And she adores being a beautiful young wife. And she tells us she can't go to bed till the house is spotlessly clean. And she gets up every morning at 4.30 to make breakfast for her husband. And there are films on Twitter of TV presenters making fun of her and laughing at her and calling her all... Why do you care if that's what makes her happy? Because it shows it can be done and you don't. That's why. Right? By the way, I don't want Cammie to get up at 4.30 and fix me breakfast because I won't be awake. And I don't want her to fix me breakfast anyway. One of my gifts to her is to hit the button for the coffee thing. That's all I know how to do. I don't drink coffee, but I'm so glad she does because the world is safe. So we will do that. Have no problem with that at all. But because they, they have found their accommodation in their family, and that shows it can be done, they must be drugged back into the bucket. You see that on, on debate stages. Anybody steps out of line, what do the other ones do? Rawr, pull them down. To the point where, uh, and, and again, not trying to be, pick, on, pick against sides here, but Bernie Sanders said yesterday, and it's on film, you can see it, that if you are not pro-choice, you can't be a Democrat and he doesn't want you in the party. Well, hello, crab bucket. That, I happen to know a lot of Democrats that are anti-abortion. But he just told them out. Huh. Don't think that's safe. If you live like Jesus wants you to live, they might pull you down. You know about this, Albert. I remember once calling my dad saying, I don't know where, but a rumor's gotten around about me that I'm mad at this and mad at this and they're going to come at me. I said, I have no idea what this is. And he said, well, you've only been preaching for a couple of years. Jesus preached for three years and they killed him and he hung up. Dad is always... <laughs> we were never bothered by Hallmark card people asking him to go to work for them. Uh, so we have that going for us. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. In other words, hey people, that just makes you part of the story. If they go for you like they went for them, it makes you part of the story. I, I, we got four minutes left, Albert, so I don't want to, you've not had much opportunity. I've been rattling on. So if you've got something, wave at me or we'll just move on a little bit. Well, it, it, there are several things. One is that uh, the very 
idea that you began with about him uh, eating the consecrated bread, uh, that's also picked up in Matthew uh, in the case of the of high priest when, when uh, David was fleeing Saul and he ate the bread. And he should have been under the law. Yep. Could, could, should have been killed. Yes. As well as in this case. And so as I said before, uh, God chooses to set aside his own ideas sometimes for the higher working of another. Now, that, that phrase, I want you to say it again because it's beautiful and it's true and it shocks people. He often sets aside his own will for the higher working of another. A classic Old Testament illustration is in Second Chronicles 29 where Hezekiah, Hilkiah found the, some things Moses had written. They decided to straighten everything up and have a Sabbath that they had, mm -hmm. I mean a, a, a Passover that they hadn't had obviously for years. Mm -hmm. We can't imagine that, but at least it happened. So he even invites 12, he even invites 10 other tribes. And his people said, you can't do that. Well, they have a Passover, and it's not according to the law of Moses. It said that so many times. Mm -hmm. I mean, even the yeah. priests were prepared to kill the lambs alike. And in verse, let's see, in verse 29 of 2 Chronicles 29, verse 30, the Bible says that God forgave them. He healed the people. He forgave one. If it had been anywhere close to Moses, they would have all been killed yep. for violating such a law. Look at the mercy of God under that circumstance. That's very right. And then look at the chutzpah, to use a Yiddish word, since we're talking about Jews. Uh, the arrogance of men who's, who would say, but if you don't worship God exactly, precisely right, then you're lost. We did um, a song today. You know, you are the words and the music and they're... That was, that was the gateway clapping song in Churches of Christ. That's why there are only two. It'll come around again, then stop. Because that doesn't give people time to look around to see who clapped. So you're able to sneak that one in. We were told you couldn't clap because that was instrumental music. I'm not making this up. That drums are stretched skin, and all you're doing is beating stretched skin. So those are drums, therefore instruments, therefore God will not accept your worship. Yep. Isn't it interesting that I haven't gone, you know, climbed a tower with a rifle yet? It really is. I think, I think, I think, I think uh, I'm, I'm proud of me, actually. Patrick, Very, yes. My, you're proud of me, too. I know that. Design, <laughs> my thought is God have mercy. Exactly. And you know something? I think the people that taught me that are saved. Absolutely. They just lost out on joy. That's all. I mean, I'm, I'm wrong about some things. Can't think of what they'd be. Cammy <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can. Yeah, yes, all right, fair. Do not talk to my wife. Uh, that's, that's unfair, unfair advantage. In, in America, you can't force her to talk. But you could offer cheesecake, I guess. Anyway. It's time for us to end the class. Thank you for being with us today. God bless and enjoy your part of the story till we see each other again.